240th episode of Rank and Review. I, as always, am your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons, and I'm being joined yet again by our regular contributor, Mr. Lee Beckman, for a very last-minute surprise Christmas episode of Rank and Review. That's right, we're going to fill hearts and minds with warmth and violence this holiday season. I have six horror movies all set on or around Christmas, and Lee and I are going to get into it with our usual swears and spoilers. I have a Christmas wish that I want to share with my Rank and Review listeners. I finally had a bug fixed on the website that uh, got the feed to be reintroduced to all sorts of different streaming and podcasting sites, but it basically reset the whole podcast. It feels like episode whatever it was 237 as far as the internet was concerned became Rankin Review's very first episode as a result I need traffic on a site whatever podcast carrier or site or whatever you're on please seek out R&R re-download some of your favorite episodes tell your friends about it because I need the extra boost also, Merry Christmas, and thank you for your support. The website is rankandreview.ca, and you can send your feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Thank you for your ears, and enjoy this very holiday-rific episode of Rankin Review. It's, it's singing in the first seconds. I love you. It's the festive season, so like you can get full on Christmassy and singing in this episode if you so choose. But oh, it'll uh, probably happen. It'll <laughs> probably happen. Shocking! I have first time guest on the podcast, <laughs> Mister Lee Beckman. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I want to thank the Academy and God. Um. We're going to do Have Yourself a Scary Little Christmas Volume 3, and uh, Lee has volunteered. We've done this in a really short time period, and I've had good luck with these types of podcasts in the past. It's been a few times with you or with Matt or with someone where I said, I need to get a podcast out right away. Let's do it. And they're all fresh baked in our brains, and they're all like in it, and it's December. It's Christmas season, even though it looks really brown and not very white outside for, for me right now. Yeah, I mean, we've had weather like this before, but 
it is definitely a brown Christmas right now. Yeah. But I used to get super jonesed about all the different Christmas specials and all the cool specific watches for Christmas time. And I know there's the famous, of course, Die Hard is Christmas, blah, blah, blah. Do you have any specific cinematic Christmas rituals? Well, every year Jolene forces me, and now Maya forces me to watch Christmas Vacation. Um, I've actually usually bad Santa, uh, and, um, oh, ah, I'm a blank. You bad Santa for sure. <laughs> uh, that one usually I watch, and the Grinch I'll usually watch, I like the Boris Karloff one. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, the older I get, I do feel even more like the Grinch. Like, I want to get past it, and it, part of it is just because... I'm an elementary art teacher and, you know, Christmas concerts are like, we're voluntold to do that. So, um, Christmas, the older I get, the more grumpier I get, which is too bad, but, um, probably bad Santa. Yeah. It's a stressful time of year on Christmas Eve. If I'm with my family, especially, I'll try and do the Christmas Carol with Alistair Sim. But, uh, other than maybe some Muppets with the kids, my Christmas yeah. traditions are more action and horror related. I would rather watch yeah. a Long Kiss Goodnight or Die Hard or Lethal Weapon than most Christmas movies. <laughs> Let us not forget Harold and Kumar's Christmas movie. <laughs> well, how could we? Oh, wait, how does that work? I've seen that movie and yet I don't remember it. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> what? You don't remember the claymation sequence with the, where he gets his penis for, you know, basically, you know, frozen to a bowl, come on. Well, that is Christmas in a nutshell, is it not? It is. It is. It is. Um, what's a Christmas movie you hate, Larry? Well, honestly, I'm not into the super schmaltzy stuff. Um, a lot of the stuff that the kids grew up with, sort of a generation behind me, like the Jingle All the Ways sort of stuff, doesn't really do a yeah. whole bunch for me. Um I, I mean, I've watched It's a Wonderful Life, and like I don't dislike it, but I'm not passionate about it. I, I really, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I, I like to watch Christmas-themed horror movies. I, sign me up for some Black Christmas, sign me up for Krampus. I, I hate to sound so much like me, but it's, it's almost like just a late-stage uh, Halloween, <laughs> you know? Uh, since Christmas is so stressful for us, and since uh, the older you get, the, the less magic and the more, uh, you know, manic there is in the Christmas season, I actually kind of appreciate the darker comedies like Krampus and Bad Santa, as you were saying. And, uh, People, the, you admit that there's a lot of stressful things that go on around this time. Yeah, the aw shucks isn't everything best or better this time of year kind of storyline. I don't know. It it held. It got more traction with me when I was young and naive. Now that I'm all old and cynical. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I I I can't stand uh, those Tim Allen. Is it Santa Claus movies? Yeah. Really, most things with Tim Allen have kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But. <laughs> hey man, Big Trouble was fun. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Galaxy Quest, Galaxy inexplicably Quest. great performance in Galaxy Quest. But as a rule, I'm I'm mystified by the man's popularity. <laughs> but that's not very charitable. That's not very Christmassy. <laughs> Merry Christmas, <Yes>. Tim Allen. <laughs> yes, yes, and the ever increasing power wheel that I'll end up, you know, playing. See, this is how bad I've gotten, and I've already talked about this with you earlier. 
like every time I walk into the room, it's just like, oh, there's too many lights. There's too many lights. And just turning up the Christmas tree or Maya's room, it's just like, oh. And I hate the fact that I'm like that. I hate it. You know, just sort of they pat me up because even the teachers at my school, um, there's some of them are, like they're tired and the kids are getting like, you know, too much energy and blah blah blah. Um, I thought I'd buy like cheap candy canes and you know, give it to you know make it games a whole lot of games with my teaching and just like make it extra cherry for everybody. But it it, it just I just because I couldn't feel any more anti Christmas. <laughs> So the, then the selection of movies weren't exactly pouring cold water over your Christmas then? I, at least I No, could... no, actually, actually, I thoroughly enjoyed, I think, all of these in some sort of way. Strangely strong list, actually. It really is. I don't, I don't think there's, there's like, definitely not a movie where I'm like, patooey, ah. Um, I, all, I generally all like them. One I should have seen, you know, maybe at the be- you know, getting at the beginning of the uh, of the viewing odyssey, if you will, just because I saw a different movie that was so dark and so just a kick in the nuts than to follow it with this movie. It was just, the juxtaposition was so off. Right. Well, this is the third time I've done Have Yourself a Scary Little Christmas. Happy Holidays, brother. Happy I think holidays. this is the sixth consecutive episode of Rankin Review that you'll now be involved in or something like that. Fifth or sixth. It's, it's, a small, it's a small problem. You say I volunteered. I say I secretly mind-melted with you and said Christmas host this year. Well, we did a Halloween episode, so why the hell not? Is there anything else you would like to say by way of introduction before I list off the six Christmas-themed movies we're going to be talking about? No, no, let's keep it going. All right. Well, here are the movies we're going to be uh, reviewing and then ranking this episode of Rank and Review. The Conjuring 2. Yes, it is set at Christmas time. People seem to miss that, but it is a Christmas set movie. Black Friday. Um, there may be a gray area, but Black Friday is when the Christmas shopping season tends to begin. You capitalist you, anyway. <laughs> uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas. Here we have a demented robotic Santa Claus on a, on a kill spree. We have a strange and forgotten movie called Dead End, kind of a Twilight zone number. We have Anna and the Apocalypse, a zombie apocalypse musical Christmas comedy thing, maybe? And we're going to wrap it up with a very underappreciated 2016 number called Better Watch Out. All horror-themed, all Christmas-themed. Mr. Beckman, thank you for being here. This is my home. Get out now. No, this is not your house. Now, what's your name? My name is Bill Wilkins, and I'm 72 years old. What do you make of that voice? Sounds confused. Is he senile? The voice on this tape is coming from an 11-year-old girl. They're calling it England's Amityville. There is a family that desperately needs our help. After everything we've seen, there isn't much that rattles either of us anymore. But this one, this one still haunts me. Does it feel like the voice is coming from inside you? More like it's coming from behind me. Like I'm being used. Janet, are you all right? Stop calling me Janet. 
She's such a good girl. What's it wrong with her? An oppressing spirit will try to force you to commit the ultimate sin. And what's that? Murder, suicide, or both. You believe us, don't you? Sensing a presence? I'm not sensing anything. All I can sense is their own fear. So, Mr. Beckman and I recently did this uh, Best of the Naughties rank, this epic three-part episode. Thank you again for that. I'm very proud of our work there. I feel like I was shitty I was shitty to the Conjuring universe in, in that discussion. I didn't include any of it in my list. I believe you included the original Conjuring. But I want to backpedal a little bit. I mean, we were talking about the tippity-top very best of a very strong decade. And I think I may have overstated the case. Like, uh, the Conjuring movies are decent. They're, they're competently made, jump-out-of-the-dark, boo movies. And The Conjuring Part 2 is one of the best of the franchise in that way. It doesn't mess with the formula that much. We have, you know, <laughs> this ultra-truistic, ultra-religious couple who are going to come and save the day of this uh, British family who is encountering all sorts of supernatural shenanigans in their flat. And it's a very composed, very professionally made movie. James Wan obviously has established that he knows what the fuck he is doing behind the camera. But it's a trickier... It's a trickier thing to do than we give credit, right? Like, making a, a, a haunted house movie is not as easy as just follow the tropes. And I think he is good at it. Just because I didn't include any of The Conjuring on the best of the decade doesn't necessarily mean that I dislike or, you know, hate The Conjuring. I don't like how much they're anchoring the true story angle. I don't like the saint-making of the, of the, you know, this couple. But I do like the fact that they're a scary, jump-scare, carnival kind of movie. And on that level... I can and do enjoy The Conjuring too. I think that the British uh, setting, the English setting, and the Christmas setting adds an extra layer to the creepiness of the goings-on. And uh, I think it's more or less the same movie as the first one, but in no way worse. So that's where I'm starting. Yeah, yeah. No, well, what I admire about it, and, and this is like the second time I saw it, I originally saw it in the theater with Jolie um, was that it didn't shy away from the fact that there is so much doubt put on the Warrens like that it is thrown into really up into like center stage at this point where like to me I think you know at the very least they were brilliant actors that managed even to convince themselves that they were you know supernatural superheroes and not con people I mean I do believe they were (laughs) Um, I think it's sad to say but as you said in an earlier podcast, Hollywood has never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So you can either you know go go frauds, motor shit, or just enjoy you know really standard filmmaking. James Wan, I think, has clearly established that he's now I think one of my favorite modern horror movies. This isn't his best by far. We'll save that for *Malignant*. <laughs> oh my god, that movie! But but. James Wan knows what he's doing. He knows how to frame scares, like both with the foreground and background, which is something that, you know, 
uh, Hitchcock he was really good at, you know, Spielberg's really good at, Ridley Scott is a master at it in a lot of ways. The Alien is a shining example of how well that's used. Um, but, um, no, it's it's a thoroughly entertaining rise. I also love the fact that, it, and this also makes me kind of just like turn my head in sadness a little bit, that the most interesting aspect of this movie, really, at least the scariest, is Valak, yes? Um, well, I mean, it depends. I, because uh, he's held back so far in the, uh, in the movie. For the longest time, we, we were led to believe that the house is being haunted by its previous owner, this old man, who we consistently yeah. see in the TV. We later find out that he's sort of being held captive there by Valak, who is, we're going to get his origin story in the Nun movies and blardy blardy blar. Um, it's interesting to me because the Valak scenes by themselves are not exactly bad. In fact, they, there's that scene where he erupts out of the painting, which is quite creepy. Yeah. Um, but I do... All done last minute reshoots. That's the thing. It was a last minute idea and ad. And thus, The Conjuring versus Born. Yeah. I'm sure he had some ideas in the back of his head, but the fact that this was... And it even sounds like it from interviews, whether he's bullshitting or not. But he does says, yeah, it was in the reshoots and came up with the idea and Valak actually there is a, a, a folklore or, or myth to the actual Valak character he's not pulling this out of his ass either right. it just goes to show that a last minute idea and thus billion dollars is created <laughs> yeah but they do feel extraneous and not just Valak the opening is in Amityville and there's a little sort yeah. of side spook scare with the uh, slender not the slender man the crooked man and again, all of those things are added to the story. They all feel like they were added to the story. They're good by themselves, but like they kind of make the movie longer than it needs to be. Like this is an over two hour horror movie, and those scenes, as strong as they are, might belong in their own movies. They might actually be weighing down this movie a little bit. It it is possible. It does feel somewhat foreign, and it makes me wonder because originally, you know, they shot just. The actual case, and they even um, you know reveal it as it happened in real life that the girls did you know admit to planning some of it, if not all of it. Um, but it managed to convince more than one adult that something was going on. Yeah. See, that's what I was going to say. I felt the skepticism of the kids and the family for sure, but less on the Warrens themselves. Um, like the the Warrens, the people seem to be at at best. Well, at least they're well meaning. Like, they don't seem to be vilifying the Warrens in this way. Um, the interesting parts about the case is that it was corroborated by two uniformed police officers in the 1970s or whatever when it happened, and they said they saw crazy shit in the house. But other than that, there's a lot of smoke to suggest that this is not a legitimate supernatural event. I mean... Well, yeah, there's... There's so many doubters that make interesting points and so-called experts that, you know, that these girls learned about ventriloquism and, you know, they actually did get caught. Like, that is a, a true thing that happened. And they call it in the movie. Like, they have uh, Run Lola Run. What's the name of that actress? Uh, Franca Potente. Franca Potente, thank you. She kind of represents the level-headed skeptical voice and she straight out busts the girls faking it in some scenes. Yeah. Um, so, and then again, uh, are they being manipulated to fake it so that they can scare off the, the skeptics or the yeah. investigation or what? 
I also noticed a little bit within the script. I don't know if because they were writing for British people, some of it felt a little bit archly British, like they were trying. You you hire a British actor and they will make it British. You don't have to be, oh, chim chim chiri and all that, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can master their language and accent pretty well. No, it's fine. I mean, this is... I I sort of also had in mind that James Wan is sort of our modern-day William Castle, uh, where... You know, he managed to come up with this idea to have once again this horror, uh, you know, controversy. This is not the first horror film series, you know, obviously, but one of at least that sort of supernatural trait. And the script does feel like at times a very much a carbon copy of the first one, much structure-wise set up. It is in a lot of ways. You notice lots of similarities. I'll just say that it does feel like a genre ghost picture. Yeah. You know, one of those almost like unsolved mysteries asking a little. Well, and like like we talked about with the girls faking it, they acknowledge some of the strangeness about the case. This isn't they didn't freshly move into this house. They'd been living there for a long time, and then this weird shit started happening. Right? Usually, it's they bought this home and it was a deal. And what's the catch? The catch is it's an evil house, right? <laughs> uh, no, uh, one day their perfectly completely normal house became evil, right? So, uh, which makes me also wonder about like we don't even hear these sort of supernatural stories anymore, but at least not like sort of in the news. Like this made national news. This case, yeah. When's the last time you heard any of anything of this ilk in the news? Well, and it was around the same time that The Exorcist was causing people to throw up and faint and flee the theater, and uh, sort of religious uh, horror was have having real impact. And, I mean, we'd like to frame that as it's a piece of history, but, I mean, it's not really. What's one of the highest-grossing R-rated films of all time? The Passion of the Christ. Religious uh, uh, films can make the dollars, even if if there's darkness to them. Maybe especially if there's darkness to them. (laughs) Yep, yep. It is just interesting, though, that, you know, really since the age of the Internet, because we can communicate with people far easier and farther away, this is a shining example, you know, right now how we're doing this, you know, this uh, conversation. But I, I, I just can't remember the last time there was this sort of based on a truth, like this, this possibly happened ghost stories, at least in the, in the media. I Honestly, I can't remember the last time, and I really do think it's the internet that might have had an effect on that. Well, I think it's just been normalized in some respect. Like, if you're a believer, there's ghost hunting shows, there's haunted house shows that will, you know, give you that and and treat it as if it's fact. But we haven't had a new Amityville, you're right, in a long time. We haven't, and that doesn't mean that we won't, but it's interesting that we haven't. But uh, I think that this... uh, increasingly loose relationship we have with the real world you know the rise of flat earthers and breathinarianism and all of this shit like uh <laughs> it's a bigger problem that we can enter. but going back to the conjuring too sorry i took you off course no that's okay um it's a jump scare movie and that is kind of it like for all the dressing and all the cast and all the production value it is a jump scare movie but it's a really good jump scare movie there's a scene where the little girl is sitting on her knees watching tv in front of the tube the way you and i did when we were little right 
because you had to be with an yeah. arm's reach to turn the channel. Uh, the fact that they had a remote control was actually pretty high tech for the time the movie was set. And the first time she sees that old man ghost and they're having the fight over what channel on the TV. Right. I thought that that, pretty... that was a genuinely good jump scare. Like, I, I yeah. was... And it's funny because it's a petty thing. It's like he, he, he's trapped in the house too. It's his house as far as he's concerned. It's his chair. And he wants to watch what he wants to watch on the TV. It's not this malevolent, I'm going to possess and kill you. It's like, no, yeah. I'm going to watch my show. <laughs> and yeah. it's yeah. Yeah. small and big at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cocky and uh, approach to tension and suspense. Um, Juan definitely has that skill set and definitely knows how to, you know, you know his sound design, their sound mix is also really good. He's got all those elements uh, that he knows how to manipulate. He's been taught and I just love the, f I, I don't know, I just thought more about him that he is really sort of our modern day William Castle, you know, where he comes up with these sort of ideas that clearly make a lot of money all of a sudden, like New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers do have a viable horror movie franchise. I don't think he's an innovator though. I think he like... He no, takes, but neither was William Castle. No, no, but like he takes old ideas and he and he does them very well, and uh, yeah. that's not as easy to like. I can be dismissive of a slasher genre; it's just another slasher picture. But it's not easy to make a really good slasher movie. It's not easy to make one of these really good ghosty suspense movies, and he's made arguably four of them, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Like, well played. I'm not a big Saw guy. I'm not a big fan of that franchise, but I would not take it away from him. He created that. He and, and Lee Winnell made that franchise. That made their fortune and, and basically facilitated them being able to make their own projects. But in the end of the day, I think Lee Winnell might end up being the more groundbreaking creative force between that duo. I, I really think James Wan is a talented director, but I'm starting to think that Lee Winnell uh, might be the secret sauce that's holding all of this together. Oh, why do you say that? Well, just from where he's gone. Because originally he was just, uh, he would write and uh, James Wan would direct. And now he's gone on to do like Invisible Man and Upgrade and like... Uh, he's not just necessarily repeating like the Invisible Man wasn't a retread of old pastiche he made no, that into a very yeah. new modern horror movie whereas James Wan yeah. takes all of these old haunted house pastiches which I love and does them very well yeah. he just isn't doing anything new with them he's doing them very well if it doesn't rank as high on the list as people think it should it's not because it's a bad movie it's just because it's a familiar movie you get me? Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I, I also just think that, you know, James Wan knows visually... Well, no, I take that back, because An Invisible Man was also beautifully shot. Um, let us not forget that James Wan also has done Aquaman and Furious 7, Larry. That's right. That's what I'm saying. He's a good tactical yeah. director. Uh, that's why, you know, like I said, that's why he... I just sort of see him as this, like, this generation, William Castle. He came up with these sort of cheap horror movies that were somewhat well-made and low-budget, but just made you giggle. They're, they're, it, it, they're gimmicky in a lot of ways, and this gimmick clear, clearly worked. It hit, it, it hit a nerve with the sort of general, you know, population, because, you know, at least 
you know, three, well, the Annabelle series, and then there's um, the none that have all done well. It is, like I said, a, a billion dollar per industry. Now. Yeah. And, like, they spend money on the Conjuring movies, but the other ones I think they do pretty cheaply, and the rate of return is dependable. So I've heard that they're going to try and wrap it up, which I do think is maybe a good idea. Like, this whole endless series, like, movies are starting to sort of break into the ground that television was in, you know? Like, (laughs) the never-ending story used to be the thing that we would tune in on a weekly basis on television, not on a yearly basis in the cinemas. Well, no, at some point it does have to end. And I know Valak is the sort of Thanos of the Conjuring verse. Right. I do love the fact that the story is setting it up that, you know, he's the big bad, that, you know, our, our heroes, the Warrens, are going to, you know, you know, throw down eventually. It's the sort of, you know, overall story arc. Um, but this is a horror movie franchise that works. And so I want to, like, enjoy it while it's here, you know. Even like decades from now, when this, you know, at least this sort of original, you know, story arc or chapter ends, that, you know, we have like Friday the 13th series yeah. and the Nightmare and the Halloween series, and now we have The Conjuring. Well, The Conjuring, which is sort of different because you've got monster movies and ghost stories and killer doll movies. So, <laughs> yeah, I want to and it's. Well here in the it's got its well, own well, sort well. of uh, retro identity that it's sort of kind of carved out um and i appreciate that what did you think about the uh using of the christmas season it's it's a background thing but i do think it's there in the movie it's prevalent i wouldn't say it's prevalent it's there but i don't think um it's almost essential to the story um i mean they do have the the, you know christmas tree scene and, and, and all that but it doesn't out of all the christmas movies I would say out of all of them. It's it's one of them where it didn't almost need to be there. I don't think it added anything. I'll least I'll say that. Right. It's another layer of paint, uh, and it does something to differentiate it from the first movie, I think. And um, yeah. it works well enough. I agree that in this list of movies, it probably uses Christmas atmosphere the least. So uh, I guess I will say that. But as a Conjuring movie, as a is-what-it-is thing... Yeah. It does its yeah. job very well. Oh, absolutely. Bravo. And shout out to the cast. Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, they're adorable together. <laughs> I mean, they do make this sort of, you know, sweet connection. And it is a, a love story between them, you know, at this point. I think even more so than the original, because they, they sort of felt like the real superheroes. Well, the saved the day the first, where this one, it's, the, you know, this sort of love story. <laughs> And there is a little bit of Mr. and Mrs. Flanders to them. Like, they're... they're, Oh, no. Oh, God, yeah. They're, like, kind of embarrassingly dorky, but in a way that's kind of sweet, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I'm sure the people who are just, like, pessimists and skeptics who, like, hate the fact that the Warrens are being idolized to a generation of people that don't know any better right now... Uh, I'm sure they're like, fuck you, but they're adorable together on screen. Well, I think that's the necessary sweetness to help the medicine go down. Yep, yep, yep. Happy Black Friday, we love toys. We still don't have a pancakes tonight. Chris, you're on reg for the night. We're short staffed. Wait up! I'm Emmett. You ever worked retail before? No. There's no day more harmful to retail workers than this day. Oh, 
what do we love? Toys! Good job. Places, everyone. Three, two, go, baby. Go Black Friday! Thank you very much. Happy holidays. <gasps> Holy shit! What the f***? There is something wrong with the shoppers. Oh, we gotta do something. We're one hour into Black Friday, and we're escorting customers away from the store? No, 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 no! Was that the new guy? Our shoppers are going crazy. Whatever you do, don't let them gather. They're building something. At this point, we're just in their way. We're gonna have to fight. There's a scene at the beginning of Krampus, which is a movie I reviewed in another uh, Have Yourself a Scary Little Christmas podcast, which shows in slow motion the maniacal, crazed, <laughs> bleary-eyed crowd of shoppers bursting through the doors upon the, them being opened yep. and plowing yep. over themselves and knocking over stands and the dead-eyed, like, trauma stares of the... Of the uh, of the people working there. Having worked at a mall at Christmas, like, I can completely relate. People become yep. complete yep. fucking monsters. When they, if they can think yep. they, they can save 50 cents, they will utterly shed their humanity. Like, it is amazing to witness. And I guess I think that's what I thought we were going to be tapping into, stepping into this Black Friday movie. I knew it was about shoppers, I knew it was set in a shopping center, and that the shoppers turned into these literal monsters. And I, yeah. Yeah, I had all these opportunities for satire as far as I'm concerned, right? Like, yeah, I think, considering that the season is supposed to be about love and family <laughs> and generosity... Yeah. Oh, no, the heart of this movie is so cynical and I love it for it yeah the meat and potatoes of the Christmas season seems to be buy 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 sell 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 you know consume 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 and this movie sort of takes it to a B-level monster thing Uh, comets start dripping out of the sky it infects the shoppers turning them into they kind of reminded me, they're not quite zombies, not quite demons, but they, they sort of looked like the monsters in Demon Knight. Yep, yep. I, I, my other idea was... Uh, oh, you froze on me, brother. Your uh, other your other idea was which, sorry? I said, you know, there was that and also like the pod people from the invasion of the body, snatch, uh, body snatchers just on speed. Right, then they they wolf out though. They're much more monstrous. Yeah. Like you, yeah, you would yeah. not confuse somebody who was infected to with somebody who was not. <laughs> yeah. And shout out to the practical effects people for this movie. Like, well done. I, I really, like, I really enjoyed it the first time, but I, I enjoyed the technical practical uh, effects on display right off the bat. Spo- that spoilers. That's one thing I'm going to really sort of plug well about the movie. The creatures or villains are awesome. That's right. all I'm going to say. And yeah, we have Bruce Campbell and we have Michael J. White and we have Devin Sawa. A lot of uh, people who we know from other genre movies are, are planted into yeah. this one. I think uh, yeah. it's, it's a sound in premise and uh, adequate in execution. I think this is just one of those movies that it's on me a little bit. I just want the movie to be more and better than it is on some level. It's not bad. Yeah. But I feel like yep. it could have been something really great. 
instead of something yeah. that's fun and just diverting and like an entertaining distraction for the holiday season. I'm not saying don't watch Black Friday, but I am going to say yeah. I think it might be a bit of a missed opportunity. No, I think that's sort of you know the greatest the uh, a pretty great thesis for what you know at least of what I think of this movie. All the ingredients are there yeah. for it to be great. And it ends up being good. That's kind of, you know, I, I, that's where I kind of weep a little bit. Because, I mean, you, if you look at the cast, you know, you've got the King legend, Bruce Campbell, Michael J. White, who's, you know, you know during the video time would definitely be sort of, you know, like our, you know, Andrew Gidikoff or, you know, other sort of B-movie, you know, action stars, who's actually done quite well for himself, mm-hmm. quite well for himself. Um, also... The actor um, from Pan's Labyrinth. I know we talked about that earlier. I can't believe it's her. And that, talking about what you Ivana Baquero. Baquero? Yeah, that is the little girl from Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, you told me that. I didn't realize that while I was watching the film, but that does blow my mind. Yeah, we were looking at the pictures of her, and I'm just like, I feel old. Yeah. <laughs> I feel old. Was Pan's Labyrinth so long ago? Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is like we all get older yeah so yeah as still m- growing up chill growing up as much and as also, i can sorry I, go ahead also i'm gonna take this time just to sort of say you know we have you know our rank and review cole howell award winner devon sawa shout out to canadian boy who does actually have a long list who's actually you know at least had a career resurgence uh with the chucky tv series i've seen the first season i should get on two and three because I am enjoying it. It, it. it does have that sort of, you know, black heart, dark sense of humor. It's satire, Chucky. Right. I will say that. And Sawa actually plays, he's like the Kenny of the entire series. He plays a different character every season. He gets killed every single time. So, anyways, um, he's also in Idle Hands. Do you remember that? Oh, Larry? yes. And, of course, Final Destination. Yep, yep, yep. But, for my money, I, I think his greatest cinematic uh, one was SLC, SLC Punk, where he plays that kid that you know minor drug dealer who runs through a field of water sprinklers and you know, fries himself with this <laughs> yeah all right so a, a a full-hearted plug of devon sawa from mr lee beckman <laughs> a i just say you should get a shout out cool award-winning actor um <laughs> Having worked in a mall and worked uh, through the Christmas season and been driven mad by the Christmas music, there's a lot here that I could relate to. So when the initial sort of splash of violence happens and they all get locked off in their little corners and everybody kind of like in their shocked moments start having these exchanges with each other, it turns a little bit Breakfast Club in a bad way to me. Like... uh, I like it in The Breakfast Club that all these different kids, you know, connect to each other because they're forced to be locked in a room. Uh, In this scenario, there are demonic creatures actively trying to eat you on the other side of the door. So I don't believe that now is the time to unburden yourself upon, you know, the rest of the staff and strangers around you. And if it happened once or twice, I would have let it go. But it's a good portion of the middle act of the movie. It's just people, why have I worked here for so long? I hate my job. Why have I done it for so long? And I don't know. I think the movie wants to be a fun, funny creature feature. It's 
it's never going to be Tremors, but it's in that like wannabe vibe of movies. And in a weird way, the lack of lightness and sort of humor to the satire kind of takes away from that. There is no uh, there is no real satire. That's sort of the sort of um, like I said, the ingredients are all there, and they're obviously the you know the whole sort of theme theme that these creatures are just rabid consumers. I mean that humor element is kind of there, but it the dialogue needed to be sharper and funnier. Like even like the, the characterizations. I do love this scene where uh, she ends up telling him that the manager that I always thought you were a serial, a serial killer. Anyways, it's sort of a walk away throw out, throw out insult line by that um, one character but I never really laughed at the dialogue and I just thought it needed it needed to be written by like um, you know Harmon from Community or you know Kevin Smith it just this the jokes needed to be just wittier and then you have this idea all about that we're so consumer capitalist crazy at this time of year and it just brings misery yeah um it needed a couple more, you know, drafts to make it just that sort of great cult classic that it could have been. You've got Bruce Campbell, damn it. Yeah. And he does give sort of a character performance, but use him. But use the him. Bruce Campbell character and his sidekick characters are good examples of this. <clears throat> Both of them, spoilers, have these big confrontational moments where they basically either face their death head on or they go into a battle that they will know likely lead to their deaths and by themselves they're okay scenes but they don't feel set up or earned in any way and i feel like if we knew a little bit more out of each of those characters then their end point would have been a lot more you know punctuated would have had a lot more effect on the audience it's sort of like, oh, yeah. that's too bad. There's another person scratched off the list. We must be getting closer to the end credits. But if it was a Walter from Tremors, if we were like, no, oh, that sucks, dude. Yeah. And it never gets yeah. us there. It never gets us there. We, we're we not completely yeah. indifferent, but I, I mean, I'm not invested. Fair, fair enough. I, I, I just think that from a dialogue and story, uh, even to the story-wise uh, just like I said, a couple more polishes. Get someone who's really good at witty dialogue in there, and this movie could have been, like I said, one of those you know giant, you know, be called classics like Frankenfish. <laughs> well, that's what that, it wants to be. I think it needed yeah. to lean into the crazy and the manic. It, it needed a little bit of yeah. Peter Jackson in there, or a little bit of Sam Raimi. Yeah, it yeah, needed to be yeah. a little bit crazier in the end than it was. Yeah. Especially with yeah. the presence of like Bruce Campbell and, and fucking Spawn, you know, like <laughs> the, the fact that it's this gigantic big blob monster on top of a shopping mall, you know, battling out there, way out in sort of a strip part of some, you know, small, you know, you know city, and you know, like, and I gotta give you credit, the whole practical effects looked really good, even that puppet, like I'm sure it was a, a nightmare to film, or do you think that that was CGI? Oh, no, I don't think it was CGI. There was, like, they were, I think they green-screened the big monster, the big bug, but all of the individual elements, I think, were practical. And I like the satirical angle that these creatures are bad, but the more of them there are, the worse they are, just like the shoppers. The shoppers are bad, but when you have them shoulder-to-shoulder cramming in the place, it becomes 
past bad. It becomes something grotesque. And that illustration, like, literally through the monsters all coming together to form a big blob, they did a similar thing in Slither, uh, with all of the creatures coming together into a big amorphous blob. But here, uh, I see sort of the satirical idea. Here's more and more of them, and once we get to a certain number, it's an unstoppable monster. (laughs) Yeah, but I think, you know, there's a good reference where... Yeah, I, I think you sort of nailed it. That Slither gets. It's got that certain sense of really dark insanity somewhere that made that film just a level better than what Black Friday was. Like there was like there are some scenes where you're just like, holy, oh my god! <laughs> but the fact that you want to be a Slither or you want to be a Tremors makes me on your side. Like I'm cheering for you. I'm on board. Yes, no, like I said it has all the ingredients. It has all the ingredients there that I love. That I love. It is a monster movie. It has a great, you know, villain. You know, even though it feels familiar in a lot of ways, it's got quirky characters. To, you know, at least to give it that. But I just think that it it had the creature. It didn't have the comedy that it was advertising. Yeah, it it just almost, but not quite. But it's not necessarily a thumbs down review. It's an affectionate. No, conditional thumbs up I mean I think if you look at the box you kind of know what this movie is trying to be and if you're in the mood for it fine but uh, I I just wanted it to be a little better than it was yeah I wanted so much more uh, actually but um, no um, it it, it is a good review I I say if anything for the gore hounds you know it does bring the ick factor and and that that will be sated but it's just it could have been so much more it could have. Alas, maybe next Christmas. The U.S. Defense Department has spent over a trillion dollars on the most cutting-edge robot technology, introducing Robo Santa Plus for the upcoming holiday season. What are you going to do this fine Christmas Eve? I was potentially going to go meet up with a dude. I've blown him off twice already, so come on, get a drink with your old pal, Robbie. What's up with you two? I uh, just grabbed him a drink. I talk her out of some tender trash. You didn't oh. talk me out of anything. Sick Christmas! Christmas! Ah, humbug. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! New animatronic state-of-the-art Santa Claus featured at our own TW Bonkers is now the subject of international recall. So Christmas Bloody Christmas is a, uh, I guess, a sci-fi horror, <laughs> you could call it. Um, yep. For whatever reason, these uh, robotic Santa Clauses that were designed by the military uh, for like... But of course, that's a good idea. Good idea. <laughs> uh, originally, presumably not designed as Santa Clauses, but I don't know. Uh, to make a buck, they've distributed them around... Uh, one of the things I like about this is that presumably this is not the only Santa that went crazy. We see news reports that there's been a recall that they've had a problem with these robo Santas. So presumably this kind of massacre is happening all over the place, which makes this a highly franchisable (laughs) movie if it wanted to be, or if it could be, as far as I'm concerned, this sprouted like a mushroom last Christmas. I'd never heard of it. It just showed up. Boom. Here it was. Um, yep. And I am 
right down the middle on it because there's a bunch of stuff in the movie that I think is actually really well done and that I really enjoy. And there's a bunch of stuff in the movie that drives me up the wall. So I have to kind of reconcile the two halves of the movie. The half that I really dig and the half that seems to be actively trying to buck me off. (laughs) So it's tough. I really think that the director is in Vegas, Vegas, one of those. I think he's in love with like the Rob Zombie aesthetic. I think on some level he may want to be Rob Zombie as like the filmmaker, because I feel that kind of he doesn't pull it off in the same way that Rob Zombie does. But the grungy aesthetic and the uh, like hellbelly vibe of it where all of the characters are basically the same character with the same voice all of the time oh yeah no 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 like even the lead character is clearly written by a man yeah well everybody with the exception of the cops there's a couple of cops that might sound like they'd be different characters I would say essentially there is one voice in this movie and it is the writer director and yeah. I've, I've workshopped plays with high school kids recently and I've done workshopping in the past and I've written, you know, plays and, and stuff in the past. And whenever I give notes, especially to a young writer, an often, often cited note of mine is fuck edit your script. Yeah. And that would have yeah. been my first note to this guy. The amount of fucks in this script would make Tarantino or David Mamet blush. It is fucking distracting. (laughs) Okay, so I I have a weird bit of trivia, actually, to add to this. There was actually 487 uses of profanity in this film, averaging 5.6 per minute. Yeah, it's 86 minutes long, and like, why you make that choice, like... That's clearly how the director talks. I watched the special feature in the on the DVD, and that's fucking how he fucking talks. This is just fucking what he fucking does. He just fucking talks that way. So all his fucking characters fucking talk that way, and that's fucking how we do the fucking movie. And it drives me crazy. Like, it's distracting sometimes in a Mammoth movie or a Tarantino movie, but it's distracting usually in a way that puts, like, a bewildered smile on my face. In this movie, it actively dissolves the characters like these two people that we're witnessing falling in love for the first 40 minutes of the movie are the same person yeah i don't believe any of the dialogue between them like yeah yeah there's stuff if you want to talk about how much you love blair witch 2 or like uh uh, your favorite musicians and i don't want to you know obviously argue for the you know the, the female you know gender here but that uh, like I, I don't think a, that could possibly come out of a woman's mouth who knows maybe there are people like this I'm not saying that it couldn't come out of her mouth I'm saying that in this movie like that's that's a podcast and I say that with due respect as someone who's like yeah. on his 230 something podcast right now like <laughs> I'm not saying that as shitty I'm saying that that's not dialogue in a movie it's clearly you yeah, just okay, spinning enough. your tires right and you're talking about stuff that you would talk about with your friends because you don't know how to eat the clock until the killer Santa Claus shows up. And that is so obvious for the first half of the movie. Over and above the fact that stuff that the, especially the guy is saying, if you're trying to seduce this woman, 
Don't talk to her about her flicking her bean or how her girlfriend's getting gaped. Like, this is, this is juvenile. But then yeah. the killer robotic Santa Claus shows up. Yeah. Then the killer robotic Santa Claus shows up and starts killing these people who I don't like. And then all of a sudden the movie yeah. goes up like two or three notches. The second half of this movie is so much better than the first half of the movie that I almost recommend it based on the fact, you know what? Start 40 minutes in. You'll catch up. Yeah. It's yeah, only an 87-minute movie, but it, yeah, the first half yeah. of it is largely a write-off. It doesn't overstay its welcome as well. Well, no, this guy actually is sort of the king of the micro-budget, um, you know, B, uh, sort of B-C movie um, uh, oeuvre. This, the, do you remember the movie Almost Human that came out about six, seven years ago? Yeah, I've this seen that one, and I've seen uh, VFW, but I haven't seen Bliss or well, The Mind's that? Eye. VFW? I think it's that? better than this one. Um uh, I I think yeah. Well, let's let's focus on Christmas, bloody Christmas. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I just think that, that I mean the the the, the director is probably like the most important part of this movie. So um, I de- I definitely I respect what he's doing here. Like, there's so much to like about this movie. I love the fact that this is a canon film. This is a um. No, I wouldn't say a Ryan Pictures, but like just like sort of a BC, you know, production company, you know, horror movie. It's grungy. It was obviously, you know, originally it was pitched as the sort of Silent Night remake that, you know, eventually came out. And I do love that idea. And it's at some points just giving giant love letters, love letters to the Terminator. Terminator. You want to sit and tell me that the climax of that movie is totally the Terminator? Of course. Like, of course, but... Lovingly so. Lovingly so. Yeah. See, I didn't mind a lot of the first 30 minutes. I know that's the sort of the general complaint of the movie where that's where you can grind your teeth. Um, but I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't hate the fact that it went all sort of romance and so much. The, do you like the lead character? I like the actress. I like the actress. She... <clears throat> is nothing like the character that she's playing. Like, apparently she didn't know anything about rock music. She didn't know anything about the horror movie she was talking about. Like, she is playing the character as delivered to her in the script. And I think it's actually pretty far removed from who she actually is. So on that level, I think she's delivering a good performance. But do I like that character? I actually think she's kind of obnoxious. <laughs> okay. Okay, and and that's something that I think the viewer kind of has to you know, uh, of, of you know, sort of deal deal with because I do sort of agree with you a little bit. There's something really kind of chachy about her in, in a sort of some, some sort of way. The fact that these you know these two people, our lead characters, do kind of deserve each other because they're both kind of sleazy. They're the same person. This is what I'm saying from the dialogue. Yeah. There's no difference yeah. between them except for one's a boy and one's a girl. They talk the same. Like, you get the feeling like he's actively pursuing her from the beginning, but from a friendly way, yeah. he's not being creepy about it. And you kind of know where it's going, yeah. and it goes there. And then the movie yeah. starts. I also do like the sort of, you know, the red shirts a lot of the movie. Even the couple that buys in the toy store. I agree with you. The second the robot wakes up, the movie does sort of, you know, 
kick up a notch. Um, I love. I also love the you know they use you do dummies to a lot for like the car accident. The impact. You, know, you know the head car. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'd be curious to you know how much did this movie cost? That's actually I'm sure that you know made its money back, but it is. It's not even sort of a, a B movie grade sort of practical effects. In a lot of ways, there's like it's clearly low, low budget. But, the, but it looks good. Part of the charm. And yeah. it's it's got it that really harsh good. light to it, but it's sort of justified by the Christmas yeah. atmosphere. And that also reminds yeah, yeah. me of the sort of 70s Rob Zombie aesthetic, yeah. too. Like, Well, I would say even more John Carpenter, because clearly that's one of his influences overall, at least with Almost Human and this. Yeah. Um, you know, even the, you know, the, 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 the killer cam, I think, of the robot and everything. That's... You know, that's a loving nod to Halloween in a lot, lot of ways. So, and I mean, let's be real. Yeah, let's be real. A robotic Santa Claus is kind of a silly idea. And in the movie, oh, yeah. it's pretty intimidating. You realize this is not to be fucked with. It means business. It's going to kill you. And yeah. it's stronger than you are. And it can take a licking. Yeah. yeah, and good on them for killing a kid. They did yeah. not shy away from that as well. No. That's when I went, whoa! There are things that I really do like. I like the, the sort of nastiness of the movie and the impact of the violence. There's lots of things that happen that made me go, ow, shit, that would, that would suck. Like I say, when the movie works, it really works. And when the movie doesn't work for me, it really doesn't work. So it's kind of at war with these two movies. The problem is, is that I really, really like the robotic Santa Claus movie much more than yeah. I like yeah. the, you know, two douchebags falling in love movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also enjoyed the cop characters. Uh, you know, the, the only other characters in the movie that seemed kind of real. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, apparently the actor who's also worked with this director before, like he's a, a legit working film actor. Um, he's shown up quite a lot recently. Um, he's worked with someone very, very good in the Sorry, Jeff Daniel Phillips was Sheriff Monroe, and Jeremy Gardner was Officer Smith. I think Gardner was kind of the asshole, and uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips was the guy who was a little bit more level-headed. But both of them were kind of believable. She came in a hot mess and uh, just hysterical, and uh, one guy just doesn't have time for it. The other guy's like, you need to calm down so we can actually deal with whatever the hell happened to you. (laughs) Uh, Do you know Jonah Ray? No, I do not. Uh, I mean, he was he did involved in a lot of podcast stuff. He was involved in the nouveau version of Mystery Science Theater 3000. I haven't known him so much as an actor, but he shows up. He's the boyfriend in the toy store. Um, I've okay. heard his voice. I'm, I'm aware of him. I think this is the first time I've actually seen him play a part in a movie. That's a point of interest for me. I think we've given a pretty fair shake of what the vibe of the movie is. Like, I think if this sounds like your cup of tea, dive in. Um, it's trashy and, uh, like, unnecessarily no vulgar, but apologies. it is a good time. Sorry, say that again? It makes no apologies for its trashiness, and that's what I like. Like, it swims in the same sea as um, Hobo with a Shotgun and, and Turbo Kid in a lot of ways. Um, I do think this director has talent. In, in fact... I would like to see. I would like to see him with a bigger budget and see what he could do. 
Maybe get help with your screenplay. Maybe yeah. get help. Yeah. Just a thought. <laughs> Fair enough. But he definitely has a brand that I can see. I wouldn't turn him away. Like, he's low-budget, grungy, vicious, mean-spirited horror movie, for sure. I think you just need to work on your dialogue, yeah. bruv. That's just one man's opinion. Is anybody else just, like, the least bit freaked out that we are the only car on the road right now? It's 7.30 already, darling. Yes, I'm aware of that, Laura. I thought we'd come to a junction by now. Stop! I saw a woman in the forest. Cool, that's tripping out. Oh my god! What the hell was that? <laughs> you guys suck. What are you talking about? I saw a in a car. Who are these people in the woods? Don't come over here for God's sake. I'm pregnant. So Dead End is somehow 20 years old already. It was came out in 2003. Wow. That's, that's, it does feel like... It, it, it feels like a 90s uh, horror movie in a lot of ways. I guess. It, it's got this maybe lo-fi, made-for-television or cable-ish vibe to it. But it's got a winning cast. I mean, especially the lead couple with Ray Wise and Lynn Shea. They and their two kids and their daughter's boyfriend are headed to the in-laws for Christmas Eve and, and the Christmas whatever. And they are there's tension in the car. And almost the entire movie is locked into the car with these characters. It's interesting. We just reviewed Christmas, Bloody Christmas, and uh, I was saying how there's two movies going on in that one, one in which I liked, one in which I didn't. I think in the end of the day, I like Dead End, but it has a similar problem in that there are scenes that work and there are scenes that don't. And at the end of the day, the scenes that work kind of outweigh the scenes that don't for me, but... I can't really give it full bars. I can't really, like, <clears throat> enthusiastically say, yes, this works 100%. But if you are somebody who is into genre movies, if you like the Twilight Zones, if you like this kind of twisty, ghosty, cruel fate thriller, you'll like it, but you will know where it's going. <laughs> and uh, I think... That the machinations of the story and the plot is, unless you've never watched a movie before, by the end of the first act, I think you know the pattern of the movie and what you're going to get. And if you like that, you'll like the movie. If you don't like that, it's going to be a long trip for you. It's tricky when you have all of these actors stuck in a car and they don't like each other and they're giving us reasons to not like them too because it ends up hurting the stakes. We want to care when these people die. And we end up caring more because of the reactions of the rest of the family more than our personal investment in the character, which I think might have been a mistake. But in the end of the day, I think it more works than it doesn't. And it's also kind of an interesting curio. I think this is one of the movies on the list that a lot of people will not have heard of or have seen. So uh, a little bit of horror obscuria. So... People who are looking for that not obvious Christmas horror pick, maybe this is it. 
but it's very specific and not for everyone. That's where I start with that. Well, I, think, um, I, I think, you know, any sort of at least horror movie lover will know know this story enough. I mean, it's Incident at Owl Creek by Ambrose Bierce. Like right. that, you know, that sort of story template in which, you know, gets recycled at least once every five years in a lot of ways. Sixth Sense made it popular, um, you know, all those 20 some years ago now, too. Good God. Well, I would say I would say that from our generation, it was probably Jacob's Ladder was the big defining one of yeah, those. Like the Carnival, Carnival of Souls has the same thing. Yep. In a lot of ways, cabinet, the Cabinet of Dr. Galileo, uh, Caligari uses that one sort of story element too. So it's not necessarily breaking new ground, but I do think no, no. Like I said. I think anyone well versed, you know, in, in in that sort of specific story will know right away where it's going with that movie. It's more about the destination than where you arrive. That that's where that I think this movie sort of ends up. I do love me some Lynn Lynn Shay. She I think she's my favorite part of that movie. When her world starts to really fall apart, she is my favorite part. <laughs> no, she plays crazy uh, quite well. <laughs> she loses her mind yeah. completely through the course of the night because you know her children are dying yeah. in front of her and that's not going to be an easy thing to deal with Ray Wise is interesting too because I, you get the feeling like he was a little bit crazy to begin with so all of this compounding yeah. Yeah, all of this compounding supernatural shenanigans are just taking an already fragile psyche and just shaking it shaking it shaking it so his decision making isn't always on point and he sometimes loses a temper when maybe he shouldn't but I'm never like bullshit you're a Stephen King villain like I never didn't believe him I think Ray Wise might be an underutilized actor I mean everybody knows him and everybody's seen him in stuff but he has game I do think he's good the kids are less engaging to me (laughs) oh the brother is so annoying so annoying like when he left the movie I, you know I had a greater smile when he left it, I think the movie did turn up turn up a notch that's the one character that really dates the movie which makes to me makes it feel the 90s the sort of spoiled asshole you know the kid character like even the dialogue you the fudge humor like that yeah. just ages it so it does date the movie and it's interesting how I feel like in the context of the movie, we're not supposed to be judged. Like, he's being super shitty to his sister's boyfriend. We don't know the history between them. Maybe there's a good reason. And yeah, just generally to everybody. And when the car stops for a while, he runs out in the woods so he can jerk off because that's a thing that people do. Like, seriously? That's not credible. I mean, I know that there's a a phase of teenage years where you're walking around incredibly horny, but no. No, I, I that 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 stretches credulity to me. <laughs> I've never been so horny that I would jerk off in the woods a few feet away from my entire family. <laughs> like that is that is. What, that, Larry? You don't porno mag on you and an No, weird, weird. I know, um, but it's just funny because I feel like we're supposed to, in a weird way, at least not hate that character, find him sort of precocious or identify with him in some way. And I agree with you. I just hated him. Everything that came out of his mouth was awful. And it, he was so awful, he made his parents seem worse because how did yeah. they raise this monster, you know? 
Um, yeah. And the the problem yeah. with the daughter is less that the the character is kind of problematic. It's just uh, I don't know. I, I didn't really get a beat on her. I don't know if it was in the script or in the performance, but uh, she might have just been washed off the screen by the other actors. She, I, I thought she held her uh, held her own. Um, her character definitely becomes the strongest by the end. She never really does lose control, um, you know, much like her mom and dad do. Um, in a lot of ways, I think it's the most traumatic. Well, she survives. The most She's the lone part. survivor, so uh, I guess. I think in that respect too, the movie could have served better to being more locked into her perspective. As much as, like, the performances and the game is from, like, the main, our two leads, the lead couple, since she is our survival and this is essentially her experience, maybe we should have been more locked yep. into her than we are her parents, which, you know, is, would, would take away from two really great performances. Because, like you say, as the night goes on and they're getting more and more crazy and the road is just endless and they're starting to realize there's no logical way to explain what's happening to them anymore. They both go delightfully crazy in different ways, but they just keep driving. Yeah. They just keep driving. Well, we all know that you know everything sort of really starts when we know when that accident happens. That's essentially, you know, spoilers where they all die, but it that begs the question like how did she sort of go along for the ride in a lot of ways? Is that the sort of real supernatural element? Because it is from her point of view. She was thrown from the car, him. I guess. Everybody who was in the car got killed, and she got thrown out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And I love the fact that, the, you know, the town is actually the doctor's name and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I think that if you're even a little bit horror savvy, you're going to know where, where this movie is going. And I think the movie yeah. should have recognized that. At some point, the movie should have known that, yes, the movie should have known that, yes, the audience is going to be with us on this, so let's not try to make this a big, shocking reveal. Let's just try to make it emotionally impactful. But no, they're going to be, they're trying to go gotcha when they should go, damn, this girl lost her entire family. You know, like, it should be this melancholy ending, not a gotcha, right? And it's these little tonal things that chip away at the movie, but the execution, especially by the cast, is good enough that I... There's enough problems that I can wag my finger a little bit, but enough good that I can't not give it a thumbs-up review, so... Yeah, but the story template that it's using is, like I said, Al Creep, that, you know, that's... The the twist ending is the whole thing. Um, I mean, yes, it could have been a lot more melancholy, but this is also, like, as you said, a Twilight, sto- a Twilight Zone story... Kind of thing as well. Um, the familiarity, in a lot of ways, kills it. Yeah, I would even argue, like going back to Carnival of Souls, that that yeah. movie understood that the audience understood what was going on. That the reveal yeah. at the end of the body in the car isn't in like, oh my god, it, that it's her. It's oh my god, she's dead. Like it's like that's sad. It's not like, oh my god, we got you, we pulled a trick, this is... They're not pulling a trick on the audience. And that seems to be how they're playing it, right? Yes, yes. And, uh... Yeah. Again, stick with your cast, because they're emotionally there for you. So, uh, this is her... What she saw, or her mind making sense of what happened to her that night. The reality is the reality, but... 
again, Life of Pi, the uh, Jacob's Ladder, a lot of these narratives where what we see isn't exactly what we see. Um, yeah, it's it's familiar, but the Christmas setting does a lot, and the craziness does a lot, and there's just weird images when that hearse drives by, and there's that image of the face in the back of the curse uh her screaming for their family as they're being driven into the night like strong yeah. image strong yeah, image yeah 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 no uh, absolutely and this is a movie where i also feel like christmas is an el- a strong element to the story like they are there because they're supposed to go you know to you know the wife's family which of course we didn't soon realize that at least a father hates but it seems like nobody in the car wants to be there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a very dysfunctional family, very dysfunctional. But I do love how the affairs are, you know, are revealed through both Lynchay and Frank Wise in a lot of ways. I think that's really sort of well written. The di- I, the, these characters, yes, they're once again there's there's sort of um, character. I wouldn't say characters. There, like there is flesh to them, even if they feel familiar. And the fact that I think I do think that Ray Wise and Lynn Shay and even the daughter. Um, Remember her name? Uh, Alexandra Holden. Yeah, I've seen her before as well. This was this was actually directed by two uh, two different people. Yeah. Um, Jean Baptiste Andrea and Fabrice Canepa. I, I'm sure I'm saying that correctly. Yikes. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also do like the look of the film. And it does, and you can tell it's a movie that's filmed on film and not digital. But in a lot of ways, I do like that aspect of it. Um, I, 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 I think they do use the lighting pretty well in a lot of ways. I even like the baby carriage that's like on the road. Good image. That's a really, yeah. You know, that's a really creepy image. And they use their gore well. Like it, it's, you know, a lot of it's sort of off screen, and they bring things up in a lot of ways. Uh, all, all the gore and, the, you know, and it's you know it's juicy I'll say that it definitely has its wet uh, moments and when I was yeah. talking about in Black Friday how like they would stop to have these heart to heart or like backstory yeah. exposition scenes and they felt extraneous because yeah. they're locked in the car and because they literally every time they stop something horrible happens yeah. it justifies them being forced to confront each other in that way because what else can they do <clears throat> yep so yeah. it, you know, it, stuff that works and stuff that doesn't. I'm mainly I'm mainly on side with it, but uh, yeah. I under I would understand people being a little bit shields up. I think it's for horror fans, for people who yeah, no, who, no, who know their shit and are going to appreciate, who know who Lin Shay is without having to be pointed out. You know, who like it, 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 who know Al Creek Bridge without having to have it being pointed out. Who that's the audience of this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I do love that shotgun shotgun scene uh, where the father, you know, does get it. I think that is actually a well well shot sequence and a well scripted little element to the but whole. I hate that, it, that. hate it, hate it in movies when people get shot and they wrap a bandage around the move wound over top of their clothes. Ugh. And it was a shotgun blast. It would have taken a chunk off of his leg. But again, these are Fair these, these are Fair quibbles. The movie works enough. It works enough, damn it. Good enough? I agree. Good enough. We are not opening the doors. My little girl's out there. I'm getting my dad, all right? How are we going to get past all the zombies? I just had the best idea ever. This is the stupidest idea ever. All right, losers. 
Through here, we might make it to the school before sundown. Plus, it'll be fun. Yeah, certain death is so much fun. <gasps> this isn't fun anymore. It might have, might have. It's the running joke now. Yeah, the the impact of a new. uh, Yeah, the impact of a new zombie movie is lessened. I understand people not getting excited about another zombie movie. But uh, Anna and the Apocalypse is a musical, and it is a Christmas musical, and it is a romantic comedy Christmas. Zombie apocalypse yep. musical, yep. and yep. I guess any of the major problems that I have with the movies uh, or, or with this movie are problems that are, are mainstays of the zombie genre. In that they're so familiar that once we are introduced to our cast of characters, we kind of know what's going to happen to each one of them, what therefore plays in, in in the movie, and how it's going to run out and. I think if you watch enough zombie movies, you will not be wrong about it. But I don't know. The music really adds an extra wrinkle to it. I appreciate how poppy it is and catchy. Like, they're legitimately earwormy music. Whether or not it's your thing or not, you're not impatiently sitting through them. Like, they they have pep and energy and uh, they push the story. They're not just stopping everything for a song. And watching it again for the podcast the second time, I think it works way more than it doesn't. Like, uh, (laughs) it's straight-faced about it, strangely. It is not absurd. It's not Little Shop of Horrors or Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's a zombie movie with music numbers. Yep, yep. I was worried in the first sort of 20 minutes because it sort of was like, oh, this is Glee meets... George A. Romero, whatever, and we, there's been a, I mean, there's even been a glut of Zom comedies, which, you know, you know this is, it, you know, there's definitely a whole pool of these movies, but I do think it achieves sort of at least kind of cult status by the end, where all the people that have either been changed or are changing into zombies, that musical number, I think is a really good, written, brilliant sort of comedic piece. Yeah. That sort of, you know, you know, stick ends this movie. Um, 
She's having a great day. She's going to meet her best friend. Everything is going yeah. perfectly for her, and she's so wrapped up in singing her song that she's completely yeah. unaware of the apocalypse behind yeah. her. It's They did a similar thing in Shaun of the Dead when Shaun goes to the store and yeah. back without noticing the apocalypse. Absolutely. But this is an entire song and dance number about it, and it's very charming. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, no. Like, that's re- actually, that's to me where the movie really sort of, you know, kicks it up a notch in a lot of ways I was waiting for at least sort of the zombie a lot more of the zombie comedy and then when it does show up with that beheading of the panda bear character (laughs) uh, (laughs) yeah like death by (laughs) teeter-totter yeah 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 that's when he went yay um I think it's the second big number of the musical uh Hollywood ending got me thinking a little bit because you have the classic problems with the zombie movies there's basically two endings to zombie movies right there is everybody dies or two or three people go on to an uncertain future yeah there's a handful where they try to like the military shows up and saves everything and somehow things go back to normal but they're never credible basically we have those two options and this movie doesn't really reconcile that either but this song, which did get stuck in my damn head, <laughs> so let's stop pretending there's no such thing as a Hollywood ending, is anchored on whether or not you put a comma or a period in between those two lines. So let's stop pretending, period, there's no such thing as a Hollywood ending, period, or okay. let's stop pretending, comma, there's no such thing as a Hollywood ending, right? Yeah. <laughs> um... I think that the movie should have, based on that, ended with a big song and dance number where everybody died. (laughs) That would have been my preference. Because that is a big, splashy finish, (laughs) right? But at its heart, I think you're right. It wants to be closer to Glee and John Hughes, and it's just not that type of movie. That said, it's got a few deaths in it that kind of suck. You're like, oh, too bad, you guys. (laughs) Um, and it works as a musical and it works as a comedy and it works as a zombie movie so I mean considering a lot of movies fail at being just one of those three things I have a lot of compliments to throw at this movie yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. I do want to do a shout out to like Mark Benton who plays Tony Shepard the dad I think he's great in the movie I do think like the lead character Anna is also very very good but also Paul Kay, who I've seen before, I think in Game of Thrones, who if Bill Nighy you know doesn't get the job, he doesn't get the call, phone this guy. <laughs> um, I mean, he, like he's the real prick of the movie, obviously, right from the get go. Um, he's the I mean, what's the character from My Living Dead again? Cooper. The asshole. The Cooper he's character. The Cooper character. Oh yes. He's an uh, administrative or a teaching assistant at this the high school, and he's one of these guys where the zombie apocalypse goes from being utterly terrifying to the best thing that ever happened to him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I do like his musical number, uh, musical number when he's you know trapped in the other room, and they're all he's all really laid a trap for all of them in the sort of the, the, where the, 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 the cafeteria, the stack, yeah, the cafeteria. I thought that number was also very good. Uh, I like the dynamic between Anna and her friend, who clearly wants it to be more than a friend relationship. 
and yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, when she finally like officially kind not coldly but definitively friend zones him it's a yeah. cringy scene a because well i think we've all been there and that really sucks to be you know want something more out of a relationship but it not be a mutual thing but yeah. in this movie it was so much more than that in this movie her rejection of him was a death sentence <laughs> I honestly feel like if she'd uh, if the the romance between them had clicked and they'd you know had this big romantic thing between them, it wouldn't guarantee his survival, but it would have gone a long way to help giving him character armor. But the fact that yep. she rejected him right away, I'm like, this dude's dead. And they yep. tried to try to like make a bit of a surprise out of that moment. And when it happens, you're like, oh, there it is. But uh, I did yep. I did call it. But again, yep, yep. would I if I hadn't literally seen hundreds of other zombie movies? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think John, the character, is right, though. She does have really bad taste in men. Yeah. Even though, like, the Knicks of that universe will probably, you know, like, do survive. They have, have enough of that sort of alpha asshole, you know, scene. And I do love their song when they are sort of officially introduced, at least after the, you know, the, the zombie apocalypse. That with those characters was sort of charming and cute. They had this big um, strut number where they're like, "We kick zombie ass. We don't hide. Yeah. We fight." Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That also made me clap a little bit. Um, what's weird is, and, and this is more, you know, just sort of the, the, the time and order in which I saw this. Right before um, I, I, I had just seen Killers of the Flower Moon, that Martin Scorsese one, that's <laughs> really good. But that is such a dark, dark, dark movie. To then sort of follow it up with you know Anna and the Apocalypse, it just felt weird. Right. Um. So and 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 musicals are are a tough sell for me, anyways. Like the musicals that I do enjoy either involve a killer plant or a disfigured, you know, man with a mask, you know, singing in the dark French opera hallways. Um. But the charm did win win me over with Anna and the Apocalypse so much so that. It has enough zombie sort of show tune songs that I'm glad that this movie exists. I I liked its charm and appeal. And it's British. Yes, it's very British. I have a thing British. for accents. I do. Yep. I do. Um, uh, and it sort of speaks to that sort of whole stagey theatre world uh, of London and stuff like that. And, uh, you know... Yep. Uh, that was just part of your skill set as an actor. You, you don't just show up in a moat. You got to be able to sing. You got to be able to dance. You got to be able to bring it on yeah. all, all, all planes. And it's a very talented cast. And again, not a lot of people that I'd seen before uh, or necessarily yeah. since. But um, yeah, it was way better than I had any expectation of it to be. Like I knew it was going to be an individual thing because you don't see a lot of musical zombie comedies but uh it it it's way better i liked it way more because i agree with you i'm not a big fan of musicals i've done a couple episodes now dedicated to musicals and i basically spent the introduction saying if i'm gonna watch a musical i'm gonna watch it live on stage and yeah. uh this is one of the exceptions this like little shop of horrors is a movie that i could just put on and watch and enjoy i think the songs are good i think that the story works I guess you could argue it's an industry standard zombie story, but I don't know necessarily like, yes, it is, 
but it also has dance numbers. It's also sweet. It's also funny. Like, what more do you want? It's actively struggling and bending over backwards to entertain you. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it, it it certainly does. This is a very sort of thumbs up, uh, positive review. Um, the choreography is actually really well done for these kinds of movies as well. Like. Maybe it's also because I'm teaching dance right now at my job as well. Like, it, it is choreographed really well, and the camera's well positioned to those parts uh, in a lot of ways. And the sh- and the numbers are, you know, they're catchy. Yeah, uh, I imagine the next couple of days I will be sort of singing a couple of these songs. Are gonna you know, come, from, come from that are in this movie. They're gonna, probably gonna come out of my mouth at some point, and I'm gonna be singing in the shower or something. So, um, as a zong comedy, I think the comedy is strong. The musical numbers really, really work. It, this movie charmed me. Yeah. And uh, that's what it set out to do. And uh, I would be very surprised if anybody didn't think they got their money's worth. It might not change your world, but I think you'll be glad you signed up. This exciting. the season. What are you doing, man? Please let me out of this. You're home alone again? That's awesome. Exes just go away. So I'm going to say something before we get into Better Watch Out. And it's been shared by a lot of... I watched a couple of uh, reviews and videos on YouTube about it. And I noticed that they all say the exact same thing. And I take this to be a sign of a really good movie. I have a spoiler warning at the top of the show. I always say, there's going to be spoilers, there's going to be swears. If you have not seen Better Watch Out, because I want to talk about spoilers about this movie, I implore you to watch the movie before you listen to this review. Because this is a movie that the less you know about going in, I think the more you will get out of. I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of it, but... Usually when someone tells me that, when someone says, watch this movie, but don't even look at the poster, just watch it, I take it as a good sign. So, yes, that. We're going to review Better Watch Out very positively. Well, I'm going to review it very positively. I don't know what Lee's going to say. But uh, if you haven't seen it, please do not allow us to spoil this for you. I know, Lee, you're a very pro-spoiler person. (laughs) But uh, I I do think that uh, uh, certain movies benefit the less you know. For instance, yep. if you go into this movie like I did and thought, like, it's about a girl who's babysitting on Christmas Eve for whatever reason, and some killer is going to come and she has to defend. It's like Halloween set at Christmas. That's what a superficial glance at the at the poster might suggest. Yeah. Yeah. 
I unfortunately never had the experience of having a, quote, hot babysitter. I never had the crush on my babysitter. Usually uh, I was being babysat by a direct family member or my grandparents or something like that. So I missed out on that experience. But there is clearly a dynamic between this 12-year-old kid and he is crushing really hard on his babysitter. He's a spoiled child and he's brought his buddy along who's, uh, I think, get the feeling not quite as lives not quite as comfortable a life as his buddy and uh is kind of the 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 guy who's sort of dragged along uh the the hanger on not the control full of force and weird knocks start happening at the door and they are isolated and uh what the what the hell is going on and about 40 minutes through the movie maybe about the halfway point the tone and the landscape of the movie changes completely with the swinging of a bucket. <laughs> yep. A uh, holiday tradition around this household is, of course, Home Alone. My boys love Home Alone. Get yep. a lot of laughter yep. about <laughs> watching Daniel Stern or Joe Pesci take a paint can in the face. You know what would happen yep. if you yep. took a paint can in the face at a high altitude on a good swing of rope? This yep. movie will tell you. And up until yeah. that moment happens, it's it's a suspenseful movie, but it's got a weird sort of goofy kind of charm to it, and you're not quite sure, like, what kind of horror movie is this? And when that bucket yeah. falls and obliterates this poor character's head, the movie yeah. changes into a pretty full-blooded horror movie. And unbeknownst to us, we've been watching the villain the whole time. This is a movie about a 12-year-old sociopath, and it is a formidable performance. I don't know where they found this kid. His voice hasn't broke yet. Like, his balls haven't dropped. But he seems to have a real understanding of the psychological imbalance, like the the sociopathic violence and the, 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 the psychology coming out of the spoiled brat who goes from just being, you know, a precocious kid who is the way he is to, no, he can't handle not getting what he wants to the degree that, like, he's pathological and evil. And all of a sudden, the Oshuk's weird, fun vibe turns deadly, deadly serious. And there are real stakes. And this is a fucking horror movie all of a sudden. And I gotta say, especially the first time I watched it, I was not anticipating any of that. Yeah, no, no. Um, it, it does start off so, like, so innocent and sweet in a lot of ways. Um, but that is about the half an hour mark where this movie does take a really, really dark turn. And you do realize that you are seeing this sociopath. Levi Miller, I think, is the actor's name. I just want to make sure I want to get that right. I think it... Uh, I know it's definitely Levi something. He's an Australian actor. He was Pan in uh, uh, that Pan movie with Hugh Jackman years ago. Right, okay. Levi Miller is his name. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I, yeah, that's probably like one of the greatest horror villains, at least of the past 10 years. You hate that kid. Like Even the scene where it, you know it's the real uncomfortable where he tries to make out with her, like, you're just like, Ugh. and you, you kind of realize that there is something wrong with this kid. 
and, and when it's fully revealed, when you know when, when, when the worm does finally turn, or not not turn, but or like you really get a sense of the sheer the sociopathic behavior that this kid is capable when he smacks the babysitter and she falls down the stairs. Yeah, um, you real you are dealing with a very dangerous human being. You knew there was something off about him. Like, you you got that there was something off about him and he was, like, a bratty kid and that he was being weird and aggressive towards his babysitter. But a lot of it you could write off. Like, did you ever do anything stupid when you were 12? Because I know I did. But you realize after a point it's not just him being a dumb kid who doesn't know what to do with all of his feelings. But he's this calculated, sinister like villain (laughs) like and in true sociopathic like tendencies all of the terrible shit that he does through the night is everybody else's fault he never takes responsibility for any of his actions even when he quotes spoilers like he yeah he he kills his best friend and then screams at his best friend's corpse because it was his best friend's fault that that happened right and you can see yeah. on the performance's face, like, it's gone farther than he wanted it to. This is costing him more than he wanted it to. And he has to, like, consciously fall back. And then all of a sudden, turns it back off. I was getting sick of him anyway. Like, I really yeah. think it's an incredibly strong performance from such a young kid. I don't know how old he was when he gave the performance. The character's supposed to be 12, and I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> Also, oh, yeah. fun fact oh, about the yeah. cast, the babysitter and the best friend are both in M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit. They play oh, okay. they play a brother and sister in The Visit, but uh, in this movie... Olivia DeYoung DeJong and Ed Oxenbould. Sure, I will take your word for that. The, the two kids okay. that weren't... The, well... You know, if you get the feeling that the best friend kid was being dragged along by the force of personality of uh, of his friend, and I love the fact that movie at least I love the fact that movie even sort of at least tries to say that he might be the bad influence of the two friends, but nope, no, everything is calculated. The joint is calculated. Like the the yeah. whole thing was is just him somehow telling himself that he's going to put himself in a heroic perspective and achieve this babysitter. And short of that, he'll just kill everybody and blame it on uh, an innocent, on an innocent party. (laughs) Like, yeah. And again, the way he can switch on and off and the way he can be the cutesy, big eyed blinking, but I couldn't do anything wrong. Mummy boy to this screaming, frothing psychopath. Impressive. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. He is the reason to watch the movie. Like you are, like the villain of this movie is great. It is amazing. Like you want hate this boy. Uh, My my fingers were going into the screen at one point. Uh, I I think the part it's even after when he kills the best friend. I felt so bad for the sort of second douchey boyfriend in a lot of ways. Right. Um. The budget is, you know, he kind of redeems himself and then he gets hung. You hate that kid. Like, it's even the costume design, like how his hair is made up, like, it's just pitch perfect. I was thinking of Hush the last time, you know, where we're a horror villain, where I just wanted to smack the shit out of. And even, like, she escapes, like, that's the sort of, you know, you know fuck you ending as she gives the finger and great. And I know they're setting up the sequel where. And I doubt we'll ever get it, but 
at least, you know, where he wants to go to the hospital and visit her. And, yeah. You know, well, that will be the continuation. I sort of thought a brilliant idea for a sequel would be it's his story against hers, and he can even sort of make up that, you know, she's trying to lie in a lot of ways. Like maybe the forensics department would sort of figure it out at the end, but. In my head canon, he's fucked and he knows it, but maybe that's just what I want. Because in the real world, even if they conclusively found that he did it, he's 12 years old and he's a, 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 I'm sorry, he's a spoiled rich white kid. Uh, uh, He's not going to spend the rest of his life in jail. He'll, he'll, he'll get committed and he'll probably be out before, you know, his mid (laughs) twenties and he'll be just as evil and just as crazy. But yeah. The the movie, like, he stabs the babysitter while she's tied up in the back. Yeah. Again, an act of such cowardice. He can't even look at her while he does it. And uh, yeah. we see him set up the crime scene, and we're starting to feel like, so he's going to get away with this, and they're just going to roll credits, and this is going to be one of, like, the darkest Christmas horror movies ever. And he lays in yeah. his bed, and he waits to be comforted by his mom, and... Uh, for everything to work out just perfectly. And then he hears someone say, we got a live one. And it all falls apart right there for him. But what we want yeah. and what the movie doesn't give us is him screaming, no! Or him being wrestled down yeah. and having the handcuffs put on him. Or his parents looking yeah. at him like he's from outer space. None of that happens yeah. in this movie. Like... Yeah, it, it, it really feels choice. like he's winning for the long time. And then at the end, they give you this hope that, no, he didn't really win, but it's not yeah. clean. It's not this, like, feel-good ending for Christmas at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I do love the fact that we don't really see his comeuppance in a lot of ways. I think that works so well. I want it to happen, but the fact that we don't get it, Makes it more memorable somehow. <laughs> it, it really does. It is the right choice in a lot of ways. Um, like I said, um, I, I this director who also wrote the film, I think he's written he's written a great horror villain. <laughs> uh, Chris Peckover is his name. Yeah, um, he's written a really good horror villain that like it just evokes strong emotions in me. I wanted this kid to get it. <laughs> And we never do. He's a fragile 12 year old boy. Like, I could beat that kid to death really easily. I know. Yeah. I feel both joy and shame by saying that. But that's interesting because, like, uh, as a horror villain, if they did franchise it, I hope they don't. And at this point, I really don't think they will. It was 2016, I believe, this came out. So everybody's grown up by now. Um, But. Yeah, the, he could be. What's that uh, series of novels, the Ripley's novels, where he's just this Machiavellian killer who always manages to get away with it and assumes a new identity and moves on to the next chapter and the next murder? Like, yep. yeah, yep. this kid is on that route. So, fa la 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 la. Always good to see Virginia Madsen. Uh, and, and Patrick and, and Warburton. Well as, yeah, yeah, it was good to see them. It, it, it's so t- so t- well tightly written the, the script as well, uh, and, and, and the and the dynamics between you know the you know the three when like all really like the best friend, 
the babysitter, and 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 Patrick is his name, I think. Like they're like they're so just the the dialogue that and that and just the character piece between them works so well. I'm impressed by this Christmas horror movie. It it was really good. Yeah. Um, I hate that kiss, <laughs> but we're supposed to, so it's kind of yeah. doing its job in that way. <laughs> no, no, no. Like. Well earned, sir. We have well earned people. Well earned. So let's do this again. Yeah. Merry Christmas, Mr. Beckman. Thank you very much for participating. I know we already Hi. tried this once. This is round two. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Parsons. Uh As I have already said to you just a moment ago, this is a strange bunch of movies because despite the fact that they all have Christmas in common, there's a lot of range yep. within them. Like Anna and the Apocalypse and The Conjuring 2 are operating on two very different levels. So... Oh, yeah. Even though they're in the same genre, it makes the list kind of specific. So, um, how we rank, what we rank, I mean, I'm not going to be too stressed about it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it becomes pretty personal at this point, but like, what was your least favorite of these Christmas themed horror movies and why? Oh, you're frozen. Well, I actually oh, kind of yeah. went back and forth because, uh, like I said, oh, oh. Oh, sorry. Take three. Um, <laughs> uh, anyways, um, I, all these movies made me smile at different points. That the, you know, that I can't remember last time on doing this show where I didn't. Yeah, I like all these movies. I would recommend seeing. I wouldn't say like don't don't go see them. They all have at least value. But at number six, and I never thought you know you know when I first got this list, I didn't think it would be number six. But it's dead end. Right. Uh, it's okay. just that you know, I think any sort of any sort of like horror lover will know exactly where the story is going, and it's really about the journey and whether you know you'll enjoy that journey or a lot. I mean, it's well structured. It's you know the production values are high. It's well shot and edited, and Lin Shay and Ray Wise definitely make the movie. But I just I was surprised that Dead End was it's it's at number six. Part. There it is. Uh, at number five, and I thought for a while it would be number six, but it's Christmas Bloody uh, Bloody Christmas, I think. Um, uh, that movie just made me smile in that sort of cute way. Like it, it rises above its micro budget and, and and makes it, I think, really really enjoyable. I do think you know its flaws, and yes, you can you should fuck at it that movie. Um, but uh, I, I can see the potential for it, him being a really good genre filmmaker, and I hope he gets a bigger budget one day. I haven't seen the you know that sort of soldiers of fortune in a bar movie he made. So right. I do. I do think the guy's talented. No, uh, I I do too. I think he might need a writing partner. He he might need to help someone help him get a little bit more disciplined with his screenplays. But as far as how he's handling the horror and the violence, I'm on board. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, at number four, um, it, it, it's the it it it. it, it, it it should have been better than it we actually was with Black Friday. Um, 
I love the practical effects. I love I love the monsters, and I do like the characters. It gets the horror right. It's just not the satire, and and, and that kind of makes me go. Ugh. Uh, at, at number two, um, or number three. I have, oh, sorry. At number three, what? Uh, I have Anna and the Apocalypse. I kind of knew that I was gonna like it um, uh, when I even when I, when I first started pressing play. I, and like I said, I was kind of worried in the beginning because the first twenty minutes it's very Glee sort of centric, and I thought, oh, it's not, it's too cutesy for my taste. But then, like I said, the zombies do show up, and then I go, ah, and it sort of ends on uh, on a really really good note with like I do love that end number with all the you know like the father and all the other people, all all the all the friends that have been on this journey with Anna. Um, you know, you have the last number together as they're turning into zombies or are zombies at that point. I think it's a really, really good number. Yeah. So at number three, I have Anime Apocalypse. At number two, I have The Conjuring 2, and that actually kind of surprised me because um, I, I, I do thought it was probably the scariest movie. You know, the, the Crooked Man and the Nun are, work really, really well. Uh, so I love me some James Wan. I will say I would show up for James Wan and horror. Uh, so at number number two, I have The Conjuring 2, which leads better watch out as sort of number one. Um, I, I really that movie, that kid makes that movie. Take nothing away from the other actors <laughs> in the movie; they're all strong and good. Um, but that villain, like you, like just you really want to hurt that kid at the end of the movie. <laughs> He's the anti Kevin McAllister. He's li- oh, God, instead of God. cheering for him, you're actively praying for his doom. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it's interesting. Uh, you know, we only match in one spot in the entire list. Well, I don't think we disagree. We have the same top three. We have the same bottom three. Like I think we basically mainly agreed. It's just again how we laid things out. I think on the and this could be personal just because of the drop between the the movie that I wanted in my head and the movie that I got I put Black Friday in 6th place but uh, it's not necessarily me saying that it's a terrible movie I just think it needed its bolts tightened a little bit both in the comedy and in the horror strike that balance and uh, give those characters uh, motivation and a place to go that it's a little bit more specific. You were like so most of the way there with the movie. And like I say, I did have a good time. I did enjoy watching it. So there it is. I guess, no, we did line up in two places because you put Christmas, Bloody Christmas in fifth place as well, didn't you? So we lined up in two places. Christmas fucking bloody fucking Christmas with fucking robotic fucking Santa Claus fucking killing a bunch of fucking people who talk about fucking horror movies and fucking rock and roll and say fuck way too fucking much but the gore definitely delivers just seriously dude get someone to help you with those fucking screenplays of yours man like conceptually you're there just have someone help fine tune the dialogue and work on this things called characters because everybody does not share the same emotional life as you do sir I'm sure you're an interesting cool dude but like come on Imagine how good this movie would have been if we had characters. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Dead End made it all the way to fourth place for me. I think because it's maybe the uh, maybe the horror nerd movie, 
it, it, it's full of people that we know and love from other horror movies and it's got that very familiar horror movie template I wish that the movie, as I said in the review, wasn't trying to play gotcha. I wish it would just play the dark emotional beats of a woman who loses entire family on Christmas Eve. I think that would be gotcha enough. But yeah. I, I like it warts and all, but I do concede it definitely has its issues. <laughs> in third place, I'm putting The Conjuring 2. Although I will agree with you soundly, it is the most frightening movie of the movies we're talking about here I would say it uses the Christmas theme the least of them and uh, as as tactically strong as it is it's very familiar it is another ghost movie it's a very well done jump scare movie and if you like jump scare movies check it out I gave Anne and the Apocalypse second place especially upon watching it the second time like this is not my type of movie at all. It does have zombies yeah. in it, and yes, that's a plus. But I'm not a musical guy, and I can get yeah. I can get my, my ass gets a little bit tired during a lot of formula rom coms. So there was yeah. there was a hill to climb for me, and it was on its way to the top of the list. But it's very but, charming. It's very charming. Yeah, but then I watched Better Watch Out again, and like. I do think that it's slowly building a cult crowd. Like, noise is starting to build around Better Watch Out. But in enough to the point that maybe this director will get some more work and, uh, you know, more people will start watching it every Christmas that goes by, which will be all to the pluses. But I'm at saying at this point, please don't make a sequel to this movie. Just let it be the dark little slice of Christmas horror that it is. Because it is, in its own way kind of darkly perfect even though I yeah. still want to see that kid choked even like a post credit oh, yeah. scene of that kid getting fucking strangled <laughs> like, that would have been like a you month worth of spank material <laughs> yeah, you, you want bad things to happen to this kid and we're not talking just R rated we're talking primal scream no, you no. want this kid to suffer this movie had like the most visceral reaction to me like, like, like I said when the end, end credits hit, and I and I stayed for the credit stinger. Did you stay for that? Yeah, I'm worried about her. Yeah. Should we go see her in the hospital? Yeah, yeah. like I was like, fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> I, I I pounded my bet, and that's when I realized that yeah, this movie like a bullet is number one. I I agree. Like I said, I got the like it it irked me. <laughs> We got an emotional reaction out of Better Watch yeah. Out, um, yeah. and I do think like it has it has cult classic written all over it. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. like it really, I feel like every Christmas that goes by, more people are going to discover this movie, and it will it will find its audience. Um, so, yeah. and, and, and uh, yeah, yeah. And if we were only going to agree in a couple of places, I guess I'm glad that those were the places we agreed in. <laughs> so, yeah. And the more I think about it, I really do like the best friend character. I like, I love the scene where he's clearly dropped those pills, and we find out later it's Oxycontin, <laughs> and like the mother catches him. That is a really funny scene. Well, the the kids for the first act are strangely endearing until we realize yeah. what they're up to. So 
Yeah, it's yeah, very well not- calibrated, and that's why that's why I said the better for the audience if you go in just thinking that these are the kids that we're on this adventure with, and then we yeah. suddenly realize, oh no, these are the this kid is the problem. <laughs> Look. No, just no, the sort of thing I, you want to cuddle up in front of the roaring fire and watch with the family at Christmas. <laughs> I say it's the festival, you know, feel-good movie of the year. Happy holidays, brother. Thank you for doing yet another edition of Rankin Review. And oh boy, you'll still be hearing more Beckman this season. Well, we're not done with Beckman yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've definitely left an imprint on this season. <laughs> I think I, mean, I need some help, Parson. <laughs> Hey, I'm in all of them. What what does that say about me? (laughs) It says that you're a beautiful man. (laughs) Anything you'd like to say to the good people of the internet this Christmas of 2023? Uh, I'm going to say Merry Christmas to all and peace to all the human beings. I know there's a lot of, you know, sort of fighting uh, around the world. You know, not so much in Canada. Uh, You know, shout out to both Israeli and Palestinian and even you know the, the still the uh, you know the, the Russian people and uh, the U- Ukraine people that are fighting um, let there be peace over the holidays and may you like be around loved ones everyone and and have a great 2024 I can't believe that <laughs> 23 is almost over so that's okay but the point is oh no the no. holiday season is is uh, upon us and it's despite the fact that Beckman and I are kind of curmudgeons we can get behind yeah. the whole peace and love vibe of the holidays that's, that's what I'm trying to say here is peace love and be around you know good people these this holiday season that's all I'm saying yeah is this the last podcast that you're going to record in 2023 well it's the last one that'll drop in 2023 that's for sure yeah Okay, but you're not recording anymore before, like, next New Year, or will you probably get one to do some more the holidays? We'll see. It's all up in the air. <laughs> um, I think that's good. Shall we call it good? Yeah, I think M- we're good. Merry Podcast. So it was the last episode of Rankin Review for 2023. We'll be, uh, you'll be hearing me hopefully in the new year. Once again, please tell your friend about the podcast. Please seek out the website. Download your favorite episodes from whatever podcast site you're doing on. Spread the word because, uh, yeah, I have basically starting from zero. And uh, I believe in you guys, but after 10 years, it's a little bit demoralizing. So help me grant this Christmas wish and get R&R visible on the internet once again. Thanks for your ears. Uh, R&R drops every other Wednesday. If you're looking for something else to fill your ears with in the gaps in between episodes, check out the Shelf Shedding Movie Show, and make sure you check out the Terror Table podcast. The website is rankandreview.ca, and you can send your feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. I'm your host and Ryan Canadian, Larry Parsons, and I really appreciate your time, your ears. Thank you, you guys. Merry Christmas.